This is the John Oakley Show podcast. On a great day for talk radio. I guess when it comes to investments, the government was saying that uh, they're planning to invest $174 million in community mental health and addiction services, $27 million of which will go towards mental health supports in the education system. So I'm not entirely clear. Are they cutting back? Uh, are they actually investing or pouring more money into this? Uh, the whole mental health aspect uh, is something that has become uh, a greater focal point for uh, people who hoping hoping to address uh, the wellness of the populace, and uh, deservedly so. So to help me uh, put all of this into some kind of context or perspective, we're joined on the line by Dr. Oren Amate, the registered psychologist and media commentator. Oren, a good afternoon and welcome back. Thank you, John. All right. Uh, Listen, let me start with this whole idea of the mental health investments that the government says they're making as of today. It was mentioned that uh, they're going to expand the use of mobile crisis intervention teams, I guess, to help with first responders, police officers and the like, uh, for folks who have severe mental illness. Good idea taking the onus off police, and then you've got somebody there who's, uh, you know, an accredited uh, mental health worker rather than a police officer, because we've seen these things sometimes end tragically. Definitely, if done properly, I think that would be a wise, um, you know, I guess, modification of funding for sure. Okay, uh, but is it, you know, is it a new investment? I, I don't follow this closely enough to know what's going on here. I mean, uh, they're talking about this being an investment uh, in community mental health. Uh, Twenty-seven million going towards mental health supports in the education system. Heretofore, I guess we didn't have such. Well, we did, and uh, many of them were cut out. Uh, so when there were school psychologists, um, even social workers uh, who are cheaper than school psychologists, uh, this type of support that we desperately need in the school systems over the years um, have been um, you know, axed, basically. There are a few here or there, but not nearly enough to help address um, you know, these issues early on. Um, and that includes also assessment for children. If a child perhaps has a learning disability or a severe mental health issue, uh, if the parents cannot afford it themselves, uh, they get put on very long wait lists. So uh, it's, they are investing, but the investment is not nearly enough uh, given how much has been clawed back over the years. Okay, uh, so where the Ford government is being criticized now for public health cutbacks, uh, does this fall under that rubric? Because they seem to be putting more money in on this front anyway. Yeah, I'm confused because I know there's one thing that they say, and then what are they actually doing? So how much of this is actually for frontline staff? How much is going to be for management? That's my concern. Uh, We definitely need much more money for the front lines. And most of the investment, whether it's on the provincial or federal level, goes to research, goes to administration. It doesn't go into the hands of the people who need it, which again are frontline workers. And I can't stress enough that we need to have access uh, to these services for people who cannot afford it, especially when they are younger. Give them the tools to help develop better mental health and better ways of um, thinking about their issues and dealing with their issues um, and coping with stress and all the other things that come with being a human being that, you know, that they may not have uh, do it early on so that it doesn't become a crisis. Because the way the system is now, if you want that, quote-unquote, free, it's never free, of course, because taxpayers pay, but if you don't want to pay out of pocket, it has to reach a boiling point. It has to reach a crisis point, And we should be preventing not responding to these emergencies. All right. Uh, so they're going to place mental health workers in secondary schools to give access to early intervention, which you're supporting, right? You just said. Yes, exactly. If, again, if done right, yes. Okay. Uh it's interesting because, I mean, the byproduct of some of these uh, 
things that happen with mental health. For example, they say parents who miss work to help children suffering from anxiety costs the Ontario economy $421 million a year. Uh, I mean, I don't know how we quantify that exactly, but does that stand to reason in your mind that uh, to a lot of, you know, parents who have to take time off and so on and so forth, this is an economic argument as much as a, a mental health issue? Oh, every research over the last many years has shown, or every study over the last many years has shown that um, you know illness or lack of productivity due to mental health issues, whether it's the person directly or, as you say, a family member trying to take care of someone who is mentally ill. Um, this it, it's fact. We know that uh, that if the governments had, I mean, and the governments are aware of this too, if they had the integrity and the, uh, the I guess, the smarts and the wherewithal to invest, uh, we would be in a much better place. You do save money. Invest the dollar now, you save much more in um, lost productivity. Because for someone trying to take care of a child or a family member who has mental health issues, it's not just the, the actual uh, time away uh, where you're driving them to places, but it's also the stress. Helping, we're trying to um, help somebody with a severe mental illness, such as, let's say, autism or schizophrenia, maybe addictions. The toll that it takes on family members, I work with so many families, it's quite obvious. So if we were able to help share the burden, so to speak, it would enable them to, to devote more of their time and energy uh, to working, to supporting their family, to not having to seek mental health um, help themselves. Warren, let me ask you finally, because I was reading uh, a piece in the Canadian Medical Association Journal came out today about physician suicide and uh, how this seems to be uh, something that I guess is, uh, I don't know if it's an epidemic per se, but it's uh, quite disquieting that there's such an incident of it. Uh, Why do you suppose that is? Well, um, and I've worked with a number of uh, physicians, um, especially when they're going through the training to become doctors, going through medical school, and it is a grueling process. The number of hours it takes to become a psychologist is rough, but to become a medical doctor, uh, you tax your body, you tax your your well-being. You're competing against so many people who want the top positions, and it, you know, a it deteriorates them uh, at an early age, and some of them don't recover. And B, once they get into the field, they see that there aren't enough of them to help out. And C, if they have any heart, they feel so distressed because the good ones want to give of themselves. They want to be available for patients. They know there's not enough help for the uh, for the people they're trying to serve. And it burns them out, uh, like physically, because they're working some insane hours. And psychologically and emotionally, they know the truth behind what's going on. They know they can't help a lot of people. They see somebody, for example, in a terrible car accident. It's quite clear that the person suffered some you know, brain damage, for example. And they know that insurance company is going to jerk them around. They know they're going to ruin their lives, preventing them from getting the help that they need and basically bankrupt them. And they know what happens to these people. And they watch them deteriorate in front of them. And they feel so helpless to do anything. And unfortunately, they have the means to doing something about it. If they're feeling so distressed, if they're feeling hopeless, they can't do what they've devoted so many years of their life to trying to master and then to actually practice. They have, um, uh, you know, they have access to medications. They know how much they can take or they need to take, whether it's to, to you know, just outright kill themselves, make it look like an accident. They, they just have that, um, uh, you know, that ability. And we know that the numbers for men and for women, I believe for men, it's twice as high as in the general population that they have twice as many uh, doctors uh, percentage-wise will kill themselves. And for women, I think it's two and a half times as many female doctors than in the general population. So we know there is a crisis going on. 
Absolutely. Uh, you cited the correct statistics from the Canadian Medical Association Journal just released today. Suicide is an occupational hazard for doctors. Orrin, I appreciate your perspectives as always. Uh, we'll talk down the road. Thanks for your time. Thank you, John. You got it. Orrin Amate, registered psychologist and media commentator. Thanks for listening to the John Oakley Show podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you get your on-demand audio. 